Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. This podcast is associated with the Scattered Abroad Network. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe and check out the episode notes below for contact information, including websites and where we can be found on social media. Again, thank you for your support and let's begin our Bible study. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm your host, Josh. And today we are continuing with our study in John chapter 1, the prologue, verses 1 through 18. Today we're going to look at verses 6 through 13. And joining us again for this talk is Drew Suttles. Drew is the host of the Weather in the Storm podcast on the Scattered Abroad Network. Uh, Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit about that podcast? Okay, yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, kind of started doing a Facebook Live video when I got in my first work. And Michael Clark, who's one of the co-directors of Scattered Broad, he called me. He said, you need to look into doing a podcast on this. And so I kind of started this theme of uh, this weathering the storms of life that we face and realizing that there are members of the church that struggle and nobody's immune to it. So I began this podcast of how we can get through the storms of life by looking unto God. And so we just finished our sixth season. I uh, just did one on weathering the storm with Nehemiah. And we work through that, that text. And so I try to find people in the Bible, like Peter and David and, and others, and, and talk about the storms and the struggles they went through and how it relates to us. So it's been a real blessing in my life to be on the network and to be able to do that. Um, and new episodes come out every Thursday morning. And so anybody that wants to find it, you can go to the Scattered Broad Master Feed. Uh, and every Thursday morning, that, that episode will be up. Which I guess that's probably a good time here to say that the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast is part of that network, too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, starting, this is the second episode, uh, I guess, that it's been on there. I forgot to mention it last week, but <laughs> all the information will be down in the notes below. Uh, I highly encourage uh, checking out that uh, that network in general. Uh, every day there's something to, to listen to. Uh, but also on Thursdays, definitely check out uh, Weather and Storm with Drew. Uh, be well worth your time and very beneficial. All right, so as we mentioned, we're looking at the prologue of John. Uh, we mentioned we looked at verses 1 through 5 last episode, uh, and there we just we made the point. I mean, we could probably spend another two or three episodes just on that section of Scripture alone anyway, but uh, we pointed out the eternality of Jesus, uh, the word being the communication of God. Uh, he looked, we looked at the life, uh, eternal life, uh, being a characteristic of the son and, uh, that life being offered to, to humanity through the son and only through the son. <clears throat> and then, uh, the third name by which the apostle called Jesus is the light. And we're going to look at that, the line shines in the darkness. And he's going to, uh, in uh, this passage we're going to look at today, expound on that thought of Jesus being the light. Uh, but before he does, he uh, puts a parenthetical statement, it seems, uh, about John the Baptist. And uh, we'll, before we get into it, we made the point yesterday that the the gospel of john i don't want to say it seems more personal than the other two um and and again that's an opinion but john wants to paint jesus in a different light than the the synoptic gospels it seems and 
I think he also takes that approach with John the Baptist, not to put John the Baptist on the same plane as Jesus, but if you go to chapter or verses 35 and 37 of this chapter, you see that two disciples leave, were disciples of John the Baptist. They end up leaving John the Baptist to follow after Christ. One of them is Andrew, and I believe the second one is the, the author of this gospel account. I think it's John as well. Uh, and I think what we're having here is I think John wants to pay, for lack of a better term, homage to John the Baptist. I think he he had a personal relationship with him as well, and, and he doesn't want to take it to the same extent that he's taking Jesus. Obviously, the focus of John is Jesus, is the Word, is God incarnate, but uh, John did his role, the role given to him by God, masterfully. He he did it perfectly. He set out what he was supposed to accomplish, and I think John wants to illustrate that point as well. And so we're going to just read verses 6 through 8 uh, and then uh, just start getting in and, and dicing up the text. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. What do you have there, Drew? Yeah, and you mentioned that verses 6 through 8, you know, that's a parenthetical statement, parenthetical thought. Uh, it's introducing John and his mission, but there's also a sharp contrast to what we said in our last episode when you think about the language. In the beginning was the word, and then you have the language, there was a man sent from God. Uh, and then you have the name, the name John. Of course, we won't take the time to do it, but when you go and read Luke's account, Luke chapter 1, there's a lot of information about him. You know, and his, his father came out. What's his name going to be? His name's going to be John. They're like, wait a minute. He said, no, 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 that's his name. Uh, there's a lot of depth in, in Luke's account that he gets into, but this is the beginning of, of John's work on earth. And like you said, he did it perfectly. He knew his role, and he, he fulfilled that role. In fact, think about what Jesus says. This is Matthew 11, verse 11. It says, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Then, of course, he says, He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But for Jesus to make that statement is to say, really, for us, in, in the grand scheme of things, scheme of redemption, look how important John's role was. It spoke about him in the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 1, Isaiah 40, and verse 3. He was going to be the front runner. He was going to come and to prepare the way, blaze the trail. Uh, and then Jesus, of course, would, would come in. And it, it, it's as if John understands this is happening. And he is so thankful to just step back in the shadow and, and to exalt Jesus. And I know we're going to get into this later, but that should be our mentality as well. It's not about me. It's about him. Mm -hmm. John 3 and verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. So, I think it's interesting that John pulls back for a moment and says, let's talk about John the Immerser for a moment. There's a contrast, of course, with the word, but how important was his work? And you mentioned uh, later in, in, in this chapter, but think about when John introduces Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 3, they come to him. Are, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? They mm -hmm. said, no, no, I'm not. He, you know, We're going to read about this later, but he who comes before me, he's preferred before me. He was before me. John says, it's not about me. It's about him. Uh, and so there's just, there's a lot to think about. But verse six in particular, it's just interesting to see the contrast in language. 
in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Two, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So God sent John. He had a very important, particular purpose. Like you said, he fulfilled it perfectly. Very good. And I like that you brought that up because I did underline there was a man. I drew an arrow uh, up to that phrase, in the beginning was the Word. And I just put the note there, John draws a distinction between the creator and the created. And I think yeah. that's the purpose for that statement. There was a man. Uh, there was a man, a finite being, who had the task sent by God, a God-given task, to pave the way for the for deity to come into this world. Uh, and, and again, I think this is a, a, a respectful statement whose name was John. One commentator speculated uh, and i don't know how true this is but speculated that the only john that we read about in the gospel account of john is john the baptist anytime you see the word john uh, we're talking about john the baptist and and the commentator speculated that the apostle kept his name out of this gospel account as a show of respect for john the baptist uh, whether that's true or not um I don't know if that uh, is is real or reality, uh, but there is a sense where John, you can tell John uh, is very respectful of John the Baptist as the person and John the Baptist, uh, the role that John the Baptist uh, did fill. Uh, and so uh, John, when you look at first John, uh, Tom Waycaster made this point. When you study first John, uh, it's like uh, you have a four sided column that has pieces of art on each side and you you walk up it a spiral staircase and that's kind of how John approaches his writing where you see you on one side of the column as you walk up that staircase then you see another then you see another and then you come back to it and come back to it and it seems like that's what John uh kind of does here because we're going to talk about John the Baptist in verses 6 through 8 and then he's going to come back to it starting in verse 19 he's going to expand on it anymore so um, for those, some people, you know, say that John's a little bit hard to follow, uh, which I would agree to in all of his epistles, all his writings, all the Johannine writings are a little hard to follow. But when Waycaster made that point, uh, it started to make a little more sense because he does, he does tend to come back to his introduced subject, uh, deal with another and then come back to it as he goes up. So, uh, but I, I like the way he did it, uh, there, um, the term witness in verse seven. Uh, is is witnessing is going to be a giant theme uh, throughout the book of John. Uh, and so I circled those two words, uh, and I just made a list on the on the top margin. I have a little bit of space in my Bible, in this particular Bible to do this. Uh, but the wit John's the apostle John's witnesses of Jesus, you have the Father, uh, which uh, in chapter five as well as chapter eight, you have the Son. Uh, himself, witnessing of himself in John chapter 8. You have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, witnessing of Christ in John 15. You have the miracles uh, of Christ in John chapter 5 and John chapter 10. You have the old law or the scriptures, as John would put it in John chapter 5. You have his disciples uh, witnessing to him in John 15. You have the apostle himself the author of this book in John chapter 19, John chapter 21, you have Moses witnessing to Christ in John chapter uh, five. Uh, and then you have John the Baptist here in, in verse one, like you mentioned in verse three, again in chapter five, 
Jesus is going to make a case for himself as a lawyer presents his case logically and with reasoning. And the second witness he calls after the father is John the Baptist. And and I found that peculiar that he, because the Jews respected obviously the father and they respected the scriptures and they respected Moses and they couldn't argue whether they tried to or not uh, with the miracles that he performed. So those four kind of make sense. But then John the Baptist, they bring in uh, and we read later on in this chapter. Uh, it's, it's actually in chapter five where Jesus makes the point at one point you did like John's teachings and you did appreciate them. So something changed between then and when they confront him in verse 19. Uh, but I always go back to just in my mind, Matthew 21, and I think it's Mark 11 as well, uh, when they approach Jesus and ask him, by what authority does he do these things? And he says, I'm going to ask you a question and I'll answer your question if you answer my question. And that's the, the question Jesus poses to those who try to ensnare him. Uh, John's baptism is it from heaven or is it from man? And and they realized he had them in a catch-22. And, and what I find interesting is they say, well, if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to ask us why we haven't obeyed it. But if we say it's from man, they were worried that the crowd was going to take him out and stone him because the crowd believed John was sent from heaven, which he was. Right. And I think, like you mentioned, that's a testament to John's character. That goes in line with what is said about him in Matthew 11 and verse 11. He had such an influence on the crowd that... The religious leaders were worried that if they had said anything contradictory to what the crowd believed, then their lives were in danger. Uh, he had such uh, an influence with the crowd that Jesus calls him as a witness in John chapter 5 to testify to his Messiahship. And and so uh, my dad, you know, in a sermon one time said about John, I think it was about John the Baptist, if not the point was about John the Baptist, but he said that he played the hardest instrument in the band, and that was second fiddle. And he said he did it to perfection. And and uh, and like you mentioned in chapter three, verse thirty, I must in, I must decrease and he must increase. Uh, the humility of John. You have the influence of John, which we just mentioned, but the the humility of John uh, is just there was something special about him. And I think Matthew eleven eleven uh, is a literal. Uh, a literal uh, statement. I don't think that it's uh, metaphorical in the sense. I think I think Jesus really meant of all those born of woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And so, uh, what else do you have there? Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm, I remember your dad telling us that that was always a good word picture to think about. And, and he he spoke highly of John and, and talked about that a lot. How important his role was. Uh, you know, I've got a sermon I preached one time. What do you say about yourself? Think about what John could have said. Hey, I was here before. I, they wrote about me in the Old Testament. I'm six months older than, than Jesus. People are coming to me in droves to be baptized. You know, people are listening to me and respect me, but that was not it at all. He said, mm -hmm. I can't even get down and put his sandals on. So the humility and the mindset of John knowing his role and doing it is, is incredible. Uh, you mentioned the word witness. We get that from the Greek word martyria. We hear martyr in that. And the word witness literally means that which serves as evidence. And so I was looking at this, and I wondered if there was a difference between that word witness and what about bear witness. So looking at the phrase bear witness, Strong says it means to solemnly assert something, offering firsthand authentication of the fact 
often concerning grave or important matters. And that phrase, bear witness, appears over 30 times in the book of John. That jumped out to me because I'd never really thought about, is there a difference between he came for a witness, but then what was his active role? It was to bear witness. So offering firsthand knowledge means he got this from heaven. And it takes our minds back to Matthew 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And, and what was some of the response? Some say you're John the Baptist. So mm -hmm. They connected that. Others say Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So what I like to do in Matthew 16 is say there's speculation and then there's revelation. Speculation is what man thinks. Revelation is what God says. So That's what great John point. was doing, John was revealing from heaven, you know, just like he told Peter, my father in heaven has revealed this unto you. What John was doing by bearing witness was supplying the evidence that all men through him might believe. And then notice the emphasis on the light, to bear witness of the light, not his own light, but to reflect the light of Jesus to what end? And here we go back to the purpose statement of John, John 20, 30, and 31, that all men through him might believe. That's the whole reason, ultimately, that this is in the prologue. It's, it's that people might believe and that believing they might have life. So John's role was to provide the evidence from heaven to the world, to those who would listen, about Jesus, about who he was. Uh, then you emphasize something in John 5, and I think you looked at my notes a little bit. I had it, <laughs> I mean, I had it laid out just like that, but I, I just want to reemphasize something. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6. You've got to have at least two witnesses for something to be true. Matthew 18, 16, you know, take two or three with you. Jesus, of course, by himself, when he says, I'm the son of God, that's true. But like you said, kind of like a lawyer putting all these pieces together, he says, okay, if I just say that, anybody can come up here and say I'm the Messiah. But mm -hmm. let me back this up. So you mentioned, and this is all from John 5, but verse 33, John the Immerser, verse 36, the works, the miracles, think about Acts 2, 22, the miracles, wonders, and signs. Uh, which were evident. You have the Father, who, of course, is the most powerful witness you're going to have. Matthew 3.17, when he comes up out of the waters of baptism, this is my beloved Son. And then Matthew 17.5, which we'll talk about later, uh, when John says, we beheld his glory. Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved Son, you know, in whom I'm well pleased to hear him. And then verse 39, you have the Scriptures as a witness. Uh, of course, you can connect that, the Old Testament scriptures and, and how that applies. And then you mentioned Moses, which would be the fifth witness there in John 5. And think about what Jesus said, Luke 24, 44. The things that are written in, in the law, the prophet, and the Psalms concerning me. So all bore witness of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He was Everything was backed up, and it was credible. And you can't get more credibility than that which comes from heaven. 100%. And and John would fill that role. I mean, and I think that's a a great point. Is is all those five of those witnesses in verse five were heavenly endorsed, right. uh, and and John uh, is definitely one of those. I'm glad you pointed out that phrase that all might believe because uh, through him in verse seven. Because I did put uh, twenty in verse thirty one, and it it's the apostle John is is for so to speak taking the proverbial torch uh, from John the Baptist. John had a pre-ministry, a pre-Christ ministry, ministry that pointed people to Christ, forward-looking, 
And then John pulls the same intent with his gospel from a post-ministry, post-Christ ministry ministry, ministry pointing back to Jesus as the light. And, And I think there is an influence of John the Baptist in the gospel account of John. And, and uh, that's interesting from some of the uh, language uh, that is used uh, that John would have used and so forth. So um, very good point there. And we also want to make a point that uh, the witness, witness is a term that's used quite a bit today, uh, particularly religious and, and no one witnesses. Well, now we witness certain things, but we don't witness Christ the way John talks about witnessing Christ. And we have to draw that distinction uh, because witnessing Christ, us saying today that we're witnessing Christ would be the same as saying we witnessed uh, a car wreck just by reading uh, of it in the newspaper. Uh, we're not a witness. Uh, we may we may inform ourselves about it through that reading, and we may know Christ through the words given to us. But John is making the point that John the Baptist witnessed the Messiah firsthand. This is firsthand. Everything that John records, John the Baptist is saying is firsthand testimony. There's no hearsay. There's no speculation. This is firsthand testimonies. And like you mentioned, John witnessed the dove coming to uh, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Christ. Uh, That's an account that, that, you know, like, like you said, solidifies. Uh, and and you take you could take any of those witnesses by themselves and have enough evidence to prove the messiahship of Christ. And like you mentioned, Jesus calls them all uh, to the to the table to testify in His behalf. So, excellent point. You have anything else on on verses six through eight? The only other thing is in verse eight, he, he, John reiterates he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So you have the light, the word light three times. Of course, it's in our, it's capitalized for a reason. John was not the lie, and he takes away any kind of confusion that someone might have. As, as much respect as he had for John and as much respect as others had, it's not about him. Mm-hmm. He's not the lie. But he was sent to, and there's that same phrase, to bear witness, to to provide this information and evidence. And again, it goes back to his purpose, but also the purpose of the book. But just by means of application for us, it's a good reminder for us. You know, we could we could put our name right there in verse eight. You know, Drew is not the light. <laughs> He's sent to reflect the light of Jesus to the world. And that's Matthew right. 5, 13 through 16, as well as Philippians 2, 14. We are to shine as lights in a crooked, perverse generation. You look at our world and how dark it is. The world needs Jesus. The world needs that light. And we as Christians are the ones that we've got to be able to be humble, but go out and reflect and understand our purpose, just like John did. Very good. And and I'm glad you brought that because uh, next to verse 8, I put John 1 and verse 20, where John denies that he's the Christ. Uh, but I put also put Matthew 11 and verse 11. I think John's putting John the Baptist in the perfect place. Uh, definitely below Christ, nowhere near being an equal with Christ, but at the same time, not your average human being either. Uh, and he, he does a good job about that. And just to re- uh bounce back because you you made this point uh, about Matthew chapter 16 when he says some were saying that Christ was John the Baptist which is a compliment to John the Baptist uh we have i believe it's episode 4 uh i could be wrong but Cody McCoy uh was on here and we discussed 19 through 29 
Uh, and he made this point, which I thought was an excellent point, that the testimony of Jesus was made stronger by John the Baptist because uh, you have a group who, at, at because of his character, because of his preaching, whatever it was, con- speculated that maybe he was the Christ. And then you have him witnessing that, no, I'm not the Christ. There's one who's greater than I, whose sandal I'm not even worthy of buckling, uh, who's who's better than I am. And, and, and that just is, you want to talk about a character witness, you have the greatest character possible witnessing on your behalf. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he called John uh, to testify on his behalf or as a witness on his behalf. So um, I think John is a very underrated character in the Bible. Usually we think of Paul and Peter, Moses, Abraham, David, whatever. But um, I, I think we we don't give John the Baptist enough credit. And I'm talking about we uh, just in general. Uh, don't really give John the Baptist the credit that he maybe deserves uh, in, in his task. Verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Uh, what do you have there? Well, here John is going to return his thoughts to the Word. So we, we mentioned verses 6 through 8, kind of a parenthetical thought. Now he comes back. That was the true light. So it connects that with, in verse 8, that light. We're talking about Jesus. Again, we're talking about the Word. And then, of course, the King James says, which lighteth, that's continuous action. Every man that cometh, that's continuous action. Uh, And so this is a broad and a bold statement that affects everyone in the world. And Mm -hmm. the worldwide scope of John is brought back to our attention. It's almost as if he, he, he has a bird's eye view, and then he goes down and zooms in on the work of John, but then he comes right back out. Says this is for everybody in the world. This lights every man that comes into the world. There's nobody excluded from that, and that flies in the face of Calvinism, of course. Uh, but when you think about the worldwide scope of what Jesus did, Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. God so loved the world. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Hebrews two nine. He tasted death for every man. First John two one and two. He's the uh, propitiation. He's the lawyer. Uh, think about he died for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So I, I think verse 9 is kind of re-emphasizing the worldwide scope of the gospel. And that's what John is wanting to emphasize, the universal scope of it. But then also notice the word truth. He's going to come back to that. That was He didn't just say that was the lie, but that was the true lie. And I find that interesting. It didn't say that in verse 8. It just said that lie, that lie. But here it's, it's a true lie. And truth is one of those words, one of those elements throughout the book of John that's going to be so important. That word truth there means real, concrete, and genuine. Mm-hmm. He is the true lie. Uh, and so I just I find that pretty interesting there in verse 9. But again, it's, it's John focusing back on the word and the worldwide scope of the gospel. Excellent. Excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. True light is not true. There is not the opposite of false. Uh, true there, like you said, is genuine as in compared to a copy or a facsimile or a reflection. Right. Uh, and I think that's interesting because John is making the point that in verse 8 that John the Baptist was not the light, and that definite article is there. Mm-hmm. So he's drawing it because you go to Matt, I believe it's John, uh, I believe it's verse 30, 32 in chapter 5. 
uh, might be a little later where Jesus refers to John as a shining and burning lamp. Um, verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, talking about the light of John the Baptist. Uh, and so John is very purposeful here not to take away from the fact that John the Baptist provided light, but he wasn't the source of the light. He was the reflection. And like you said, we could put our names in verse 8, drawing off Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14 or 13, you're the light of the world. Uh, It's not our light. It's not our message. And uh, it's not our gospel account. It's not our story. It's not us who provide salvation, uh, which is why I think opinions and soapboxes and all that should, as from a preaching perspective, should stay out of the pulpit. Uh, you know, fill, fill the, the sermons with, with God's word, illustrations, anecdotes, the, those type of things are great if they bring your audience to a better understanding of what God is saying in his word. And, and I think, you know, you look at, at preaching overall today, and I'm just going to talk about it from the religious world. Uh, man's doing too much. Uh, speaking too much on their own account and not not letting God speak enough in the preaching. I'm just talking about that from a you know, general perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the world, uh, in the religious world especially, would do much better if we would if we would just be quiet and allow God to speak, uh, which John did. And and that's um, that, like you mentioned, that's the humility that's required to step back and and let uh, Jesus shine, let Jesus increase while we decrease. Um, but I appreciate you bringing that out. Um, he was in the world, uh, which I, I will talk about this in a minute. I don't want to get, uh, uh, into it here. We'll talk about it, uh, when we get into verse 18, but I just put next to that contrast with verse 18. Uh, we're talking about the locale of Jesus. Uh, we'll table that, uh, for a different, uh, a different time. Uh, but I like the fact that you also, this light, which is to everyone. Uh, and that's everyone uh, before Jesus and everyone who came into this world after Jesus uh, is included in that. And I think that is coincides with the thought of light perfectly. Uh, the illumination has been provided to all uh, darkness. Uh, and so the point being is I look at it from this standpoint. If you're in a dark room and you have a light that brights, that shines as bright as Jesus, then darkness cannot exist in that light. So in other words, in the only way that you and I can stay in darkness is by choice. We have to do something to block the light. We have to do something to turn ourselves from the light, whether it's, you know, put a blindfold on, whether it's turn our back on it, whether it's try to, you know, surround the light. I have a bedroom. Uh, we have the, the light canceling uh, shades in our bedroom for that purpose. But the point being is, is that you can't, that darkness can, and you go up to verse four, uh, I'm sorry, verse five, where it says darkness has not overcome light. I believe that the King James uses comprehend, which I don't think's, uh, the greatest word here. I think overcome, uh, or grasp. In other words, the, the thought is not understanding the light. The thought is, uh, overcoming or relinquish putting the light out uh, removing the light and you can't do that uh, and so i think that's uh, the lights to everyone everyone has that opportunity like you said uh contradicts the calvinist theory uh, but at the same time we have to make this 
statement that if we do not have the light that Jesus provided, it's not because the light doesn't reach us. It's because we've done something to remove ourselves from the light, whatever it is. Uh, and so excellent, excellent point. Anything else on that section? Yeah, you look at verse 10. The, the word world is found three times and it's cosmos each time. But it's logical to look at that and notice he was in the world. Right? That's the sphere. That's, you know, Psalm 19, 1. This is what God has created. And then the second time, the world was made by him. Again, the physical sphere of the world. But then the third time is talking about the inhabitants of the world. The world knew him not. So like you said, it wasn't that the light wasn't there. It was. But they chose not to know. And the word know is gnosko. It means to know through experience or observation. They chose not to. Uh, and it's because they were blinded. They're blinded by pride, blinded by worldly wisdom, blinded by hate, hatred. Uh, for, and that's, that's what you got to call it. That's what it was. It was just pure hatred. I can't help but think about John 11 when Lazarus was raised, and they said, what are we going to do? This man's doing many miracles. Oh, I know. We'll kill him. Yes. Or we'll go back and kill Lazarus so the evidence won't be there anymore. And, and that that's hatred. First um, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, when Paul talks about the emphasize, or emphasizing preaching the word, that preaching the cross, but it's foolishness to the world. That, that message is foolishness. Stumbling block to the Jews, to Greeks is foolishness. It doesn't fit what they think it should be. So they're they're blinded by that. Romans chapter 1, 21, 25. James chapter 3 talks about the wisdom from below and the wisdom from above. Mm -hmm. Earthly, demonic, sensual. You know, you, you're blinded, and you, you mentioned this. You decide to stay in the darkness and not come to the light. And that's a decision that we all have to make. But I just thought it was interesting that he used the word world three times to, to emphasize that not only did he create the world, but he was in it. He came mm -hmm. here. He left the light of glory to come into the darkness of this world, but to, to shine that light, to, to be that source of illumination. And yet, with all the evidence, with all the love, the world chose not to know him. And that's the same problem we have today, too. 100%. 100%. And I... And I... The statement here is to is show the folly in a lack of faith. Right. And what I mean by that is, is God has always revealed himself to humanity in some fashion. And today, uh, as in the first century, is through his word. When you, when you talk about it, he was in the world, he made the world, yet the world did not know him. And emphasizing that it was their choice, but the folly in the sense that there's going to be no excuse. We, we, I looked at, uh, the parable of the feast uh, in Matthew 22. And when the master comes and inquires with the one who was not dressed properly at the wedding feast, it says that he did not have an answer. He could, he did not answer. In other words, he had nothing to say. And, and unfortunately on the day of judgment, it's going to be that there, there's not going to be an excuse that one can offer. Uh, no one's going to be able to say, well, I didn't know. No one is going to be able to say, well, it wasn't. Uh, we will look at it. Let's just look at it from a, a modern day perspective. You and I have access to God's word in a greater capacity than has ever been seen in this world. Right. You and I carry it in our pockets. If you have a smartphone, you and I can uh, just type in Bible in a search engine and whatever version in whatever language we want to read it uh, pops up on our screen. Now, I know that's not the case everywhere in this world. Uh, but I've, if you can see behind me, I've got 
however many Bibles here, I've got a shelf up. I mean, I have 30 something Bibles, whereas in hundreds of years ago, that, that could have gotten me burned at the stake and they would have dragged them out in the parking lot. But today, uh, that's not the case. The excuse of not knowing Jesus falls solely on the one who does not know him uh, because God has, has pushed it or God has made himself known through the ages. Uh, and so, uh, anything else on those before we move on to, to verse 11? Well, just real quick, you triggered the thought of Romans one twenty. The yep. invisible attributes are clearly seen. So how do you clearly see what's invisible? <laughs> it's because God has given so much evidence through creation. And then the end of that says they are without excuse to your Absolutely. point. Uh, and so Psalm 19 comes to mind verses one through six is general revelation and seven and following a special revelation. And we've got both. We've got creation that screams the creator, and we've got the word of God that, that screams that it was breathed out by him, 2 Timothy 3.16. 100%. Very good. Verse 11, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What do you have there? The first thought is, Verses 11 through 13 is reception or rejection. And we, we've already touched on that. But that's the choice you have to make. You're either going to receive or reject. And so he came into his own. He came into the Jews. John 4, 44. Galatians 4, 4. He was sent forth from heaven, born of a woman, born under the law. But it says his own received him not, his own people. And this is foreshadowing, in my estimation, the scene in John chapter 6. John 6, beginning in verse 41, going down through verse 66. You remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus. And then, of course, he preaches the sermon, I am the bread of life. Here's the bread that you had in the wilderness, but what I'm offering to you is, is far deeper and greater. But then one of the saddest verses in the Bible is John 6, 66. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Many of the people who saw the evidence for themselves they saw the miracles, they heard the teaching, they saw the compassion, and yet they chose to reject him. So verse 11 is a sad verse, but it just shows us the reality. Like you said on the Day of Judgment, you're not going to have an excuse. He came unto his own people, and, and he showed everything you need to see, but his own, instead of receiving him, they rejected him. Great point. Um What's interesting about verse 11 is the first, now in the King James, he came to his own, his own received him not. Uh, the first own is neuter, and the second own is masculine. And so what, what John is saying here, he came into his own because it's neuter, his own stuff. So he came into his own creation. Uh, and I like the way the English standard and his own people did not receive him. Uh, and like you said, uh, from the, Verse 9, where it's cosmos, cosmos. No, I'm sorry, verse 10, cosmos, cosmos, and then humanity, essentially, the world, the world, and then humanity. Mm -hmm. Same thing here. He came into his own stuff. He came into his own creation, talking about uh, the universe, the world. Uh, but his own people, talking about human, either talking specifically about the Jews or generally about humanity, probably both, uh, probably primarily talking about the Jews, uh, but not. Uh, letting any Gentile skirt uh, from their part in rejecting him as well, because uh, they definitely did play a part in that. But I do think the kinsman facet of this, the Jew first and then to the Greek kind of mentality is set in this 
uh, in this this statement. Uh, and then again, did not receive him, which I connected. Uh, the world did not know him and did not receive him in verses 10 and 11. And just put John 3.16, an endorsement of God's love, not an endorsement of the world. Mm. Meaning that the world didn't do anything to earn Jesus coming into this world. Uh, he didn't, it didn't do anything to warrant the necessity. It didn't, let me, to merit it. Now it did something to warrant it. It sinned and made it, created a problem that needed a solution. Uh, but God didn't have to fix the problem that man created. He chose to do it, which is a, a mark on his benevolence an endorsement on his love for humanity, not an endorse. In fact, it's the opposite of an endorsement on humanity in general. Uh, and, and again, we want to stress that you should have known the Messiah was coming. You, you, if you listen to Moses and the prophets and, and the Psalms and all that, you would have known that we're in a time where the Messiah should come. And then he comes into the world. John testifies for him. He's performing miracles all over the place to the point you go, Matthew chapter 15, there's a Canaanite woman in a foreign land who approaches him about his daughter you have gentiles who say you don't even need to come to my house just say the word and he'll be healed so his his reputation was growing so the only way you can explain the rejection of jesus by the by the jewish leaders like you mentioned earlier is hatred it it was just a full-blown despising of jesus and when you look at it from that standpoint, the love that he had as God coming to this world to fix that problem and the hatred that they show towards him, it's 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 infuriating at times uh, to consider it. And, and like we mentioned yesterday, uh, yesterday or the past episode, uh, that's why the cross is such an emotional uh, and it, it cuts so deep is because everything Christ did. And the and and everything he did from an action standpoint to be treated the way he was is unnatural for us to comprehend. And I, we're made in God's image, Genesis one and verse twenty six. That's why when you see videos about people helping those in need or uh, fathers and mothers being re reunited with their children after they've gone off uh, in, to serve in the military and all that, those things pull an emotional cord on us. Because it's natural, we are, are are, for lack of a better term, programmed to have that godly type love and and so forth. And so, when you see the way Jesus was treated, it's unnatural for us as humans. It, and you, so, you have to go against that God given nature that's that's been instilled in us. You have anything else on that? The only thought I wanted to add to that is Matthew twenty three. You know, when when Jesus. Of course, he, he tells the Pharisees, he speaks the truth in love, but he lets them know they were being hypocritical, and he calls them out, rightfully so. But then think about what he says when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you like a hen of the chicks. But then King James says, but you would not. New King mm -hmm. James says, you were not willing. And you think of how emotionally just draining that must have been for Jesus to sit and look over Jerusalem. And I think about this verse, came into his own, his own didn't receive him. All the prophets that were sent, you know, God's servants, the prophets, and all the times, the captivity, you go back through the, the history of, of the people, and here's Jesus. 
And they had all the evidence they needed, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the Christ. So they had the, the John the Immerser coming and doing what he did. They had everything they needed. And yet, he says, you, you were not willing to come to me. You know, they, they claimed he worked on the Sabbath and he made himself equal with God. And that was enough in their minds. Well, we're going to crucify him for that. I mean, it's just amazing. Like you said, it's 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 infuriating. And it's sad to think they had all the evidence. It wasn't a lack of evidence. But I just I feel like verse 11, as John, by inspiration, is writing this, you wonder if a tear dropped and hit the paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wonder, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he saw the love and the compassion and how he healed people and how he helped people. And yet they did not come to him. They did not receive him. And so that needs to be on our minds, too, when we reach out to people with the gospel. You know, they might be rejecting us, but ultimately they respond in a way where they're not going to. They're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting rejecting God and the gift of salvation. Excellent. Um, going to verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God. There's an opportunity. I notice he didn't make them the children of God. He gave them the right. Uh, so, you know, we want grace is preached all the time. We have to understand there's grace comes to a point, but there's a point to which we must meet that grace and and we want to stress that also verse 13 uh those who were born out of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man uh is just talking about the means of of human conception uh but of god and and i underline that phrase but of god put john 3 3 through 7 when john when christ basically explains how one is born of god through the waters unless a man is born of the water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven i mean it doesn't get any more plainer than that uh, but if that's not enough, you can go to Mark 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations in, in Matthew 28, verse 19. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Study the book of Acts. It's impossible to honestly and objectively study the book of Acts and not come out the other end dripping wet. And and I just don't understand how you can read, and again, it just goes back to the not knowing them. You have to choose not to know them, uh, and and would just, I guess just want to stress that baptism is essential, right. and 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 that's there's no way around it. The Bible hasn't left any way around it. Uh, it's been very explicit and purposeful in what it's saying. So to be born of God. It's given us ample opportunity throughout the Bible. And I and those things I list is just the tip of the iceberg. There's Romans chapter six. There's uh I mean it's it's everywhere. I mean the, the, the New Testament is soaking wet. Water is a theme throughout uh the New Testament. Uh and and for someone to get up and tell you, don't let anyone tell you you have to be baptized for lack of a better term, spits in the face of, of holy writ. Yeah. And and that's the only way I know how to say it uh, from that standpoint, because there's nothing from the, the, the salvation standpoint that is meant to be confusing. What else do you have? Well, you connected that, that dot perfectly. The opportunity, ability is the idea of power uh, to become sons of God. But how? By and through obedience. In Hebrews 5, 8, 9 is another passage we can emphasize. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation, but for who? To all them that obey him. So it's not just this mental ascent. Okay, I see him and I believe him. There were Jews that, that saw him and believed it, but by fear they wouldn't confess it. 
Mm-hmm. Jesus says, you decide to deny me, I'll deny you. You know, Matthew 10, 32. So if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there's no way to be a child of God. We understand that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. It's impossible to please God without it. You've got to have it. But when that evidence is submitted and you see it, it's overwhelming. And when you've gathered all of it, you should obey the gospel. And just real quick, think about Acts 8, the whole chapter. Philip preaches Christ in the city of Samaria, Acts 8, 5. Acts 8, 12, he preaches the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. What's the natural response? Men and women were baptized. Mm-hmm. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. Well, then that sets up the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's the evidence. What did Philip preach to him? Well, same thing he preached, verse 5, verse 12. He preached Jesus. He took him from the same scripture and preached Jesus. What was the logical conclusion of preaching Jesus? Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And that hasn't changed. Uh, And then just a few other verses you mentioned in verse 13 is really saying it's not a physical birth. Not a blood. Guy in Wood says blood's plural. So it's not the man and the woman coming together and having, it's not talking about that kind of birth. Not the fleshly birth. Not the will of man. This is of God. So if you take out the, those three thoughts, it simply says, which were born of God. Mm-hmm. First Peter 1, 22 and 23. Not of, incorru- not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. James 1, 18, brought forth by the word of truth. And then I just want to close with this, this quote. This is from Brother Waycaster, uh, his commentary on page 32. It says, the process by which he thus becomes a child of God is summed up in the words to believe on his name. To believe on the name of Christ is to believe on his authority rest on his promises, and submit to his commands. Faith and trust in God opens the door to salvation and qualifies one to walk through that door into the kingdom of God. But until he obeys, he is not blessed. I thought that was worded really well. And it goes back to 12 and 13 connecting. He gave them the opportunity, the ability. All the evidence is there. Now it's up to them. Are you going to receive him or are you going to reject him? And that's the same message today. Perfect. And that's a great way to close out this episode. Drew, thank you again. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed this study. Uh, Join us next week as we close out the prologue of the gospel account of John, verses 15 through 18. Uh, Those who are watching, those who are listening, like, share, subscribe. Thank you for doing it. Share this with your friends. And with that, we are out.